Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Oversharing Wearing. I can't believe that we're already at episode 9. It's so surreal and it's quite interesting because after every time I do a podcast episode I kind of have this feeling of like relief that it's it, it does feel quite cathartic. Quite a lot of people have asked me that but it's also this weird feeling of discord as well and feeling a bit unsettled because with the best one in the world it is really hard to revisit some points in your life especially if they've been particularly difficult. I've been thinking a lot recently about the pandemic and its effect on people's mental health and how I can't help but feel for a lot of people this situation has greatly exacerbated anxiety levels and I, I feel really helpless about that. It's it, for, for many living with anxiety is such a struggle and this pandemic has been going on for five months now and it, and I think for a lot of people there there's a kind of quiet exhaustion and a feeling of when's this going to end who's going to suffer will will I suffer will will my family suffer and get ill and there's so many unknowns and and I think the unpredictableness for a lot of people that suffer from anxiety is can actually be quite difficult and I know for myself being anxious I've almost had to kind of step back from the situation at points and say to myself, let's just take it day by day. Let's not overthink it too much. Because when you're anxious, your tendency is to catastrophize, overthink and to see problems where there aren't any. And what happens often when you are anxious and you reach a certain point of anxiety is that it's very, very hard to get perspective. For me, one of the worst things about being anxious when I've not been well at all is the paranoia. When you are just seeing, not seeing things that aren't there, but your your senses are so heightened and it's like you've got some layers of skin kind of removed because you're so sensitive to everything. Everything feels like your senses are kind of on edge you're you're wanting to kind of reconcile that but actually when you're really not well that's super hard to do and I think more often than not in today's society there is so many people that are struggling alone with anxiety and I know for a fact from having gone through it myself, that actually you have got to really, really, really fight to get better. I also have kind of been pondering a lot the loss and and the grief that anxiety takes from your life. It actually, for me, has really affected the quality of my life and living it to the full I've been, I'm I will admit I I am frightened of a lot of things not as much as I used to be but I've always been a very fearful person always driven by fear motivated by fear and making choices that 
aren't necessarily the right things to do and the right way to behave because you do become a law unto yourself because you're frightened of your emotions are running away from you so you try to control as much as you can I know I've talked about that before so I don't want to repeat myself but I I do feel a, a great sadness that I have let at points the anxiety overtake my life so much and I think some of it's nature and definitely nurture as I've said before when you have people in your life that maybe aren't championing you or making you feel good about yourself that is going to do a lot to your morale and when you are constantly fighting in your head the the negative chatter and the anxiety is rising in you and you feel alone with it that is just such a dark place to be and I wouldn't wish it on anybody I'm going to fast forward a bit because I think it's best that I talk in this episode about probably when I was at my very, very low, low, worst. Sorry. I had just had my fourth baby by this point and I very, very much wanted to have a fourth. But the minute he was born, I kind of grieved the fact that it would be my last. I'd go to the fridge and think the last time I got some milk out of the fridge, I was pregnant. The last time I had a bath, I was pregnant. And it was really horrible because I had this new baby who was amazing, but I was sort of already mourning that this was going to be a life experience that I was never going to repeat. And I know I'm bloody lucky to have four, and I don't want to come across as ungrateful for for that because I'm not at all and I I totally appreciate that having four is is just such a privilege I think when you are kind of getting ill and I got ill quite quickly after he was born I felt very very separate from my husband we didn't actually being very honest have that much money and I think for some people who were in our financial situation, they'd look at it and go, no, there's you can't afford a fourth child. There's no way. But we kind of hoped that it would work out, which it has. We, we've been lucky. At, at certain points, we haven't, and we have struggled financially. We got ourselves in debt. And I think that also is a huge part of what makes people anxious, is if there's economic problems... You're feeling trapped by, and you're feeling trapped by that. That's really does not help your situation at all. And I know that's a very obvious thing to say, but it really does eat away at you. Um. So when he was a few months old, I had got to the point where I was absolutely exhausted with four. I'd had three in four and a half years. And he was such a good baby, but he did not sleep. (laughs) He did not sleep. He was up every hour for a year. And my friends, we would ask to be witnesses at our friend's wedding. And that we're good, very good friends with them. And they're wonderful people. But I just remember feeling quite removed that day from the whole thing because I was so bloody exhausted. And we didn't really have anybody to help. 
we were I was doing it all on my own my husband was at work and four is a lot <laughs> it's a lot I remember my dad coming round to visit and when he left we all stood at the door and I, there was all these little people and I was holding the baby and I just thought oh shit I've made a tiny army <laughs> and they're all mine but oh my god they they all turn on me at certain points you know going to the bathroom was a joke I'd have four sets of eyes watching me do a wee it was just <laughs> I like never had a moment I remember trying to have a bath and the baby crying and literally all I could wash was my feet and my ankles because I had to hold him because he was crying so much and it it was I would not change that time at all but I think if you are an anxious person and your needs are very bottom of the pile just out of necessity that actually what happened was the tiredness the lack of self-care and actually self-awareness because I I think that's the scary thing with anxiety is sometimes you don't realize how bad it is and other people aren't always going to see it either so you're in your head you've got all these internal struggles going on and you're trying to you know get on with your life but actually what's happening is that they are actually eroding your sense of perspective self and mental good health really so when he turned one it was like it was like a light switch had gone off we'd gone to a cafe just to chill out on his birthday the other children were at school and I just felt numb and also for some reason incredibly frightened I can't put my finger on it even to this day but it was I think it was this baby's getting bigger sooner or later you're going to have to face your own crap you're going to have to look in the mirror and go right this is who you are Sophie and you you've you're not going to like it you're you're not going to be okay for a long time and during that, that time frame, unfortunately, we knew about four or five people that died. One was a lovely girl at uh, my children's nursery who died of bone cancer. And there was just all these tragic accidents. And overnight, I just began to absolutely obsess about my health. I'd get incredibly anxious that something was going to happen to me. I'd be walking down the street and think, that's it, I'm going to die. I'm just going to drop dead now. And it sounds ridiculous and a bit embarrassing, and I'm quite ashamed to admit that. But I was just always, well, what's going to go wrong next? Well, if all these people have died, when am I going to die? And who's going to, you know, it would just be up to my husband to raise the children because I'm not going to be here. If I had a headache, I'd think it was a brain tumour. And I think that it was just, it was such a horrible time because I had lost a friend to a brain tumour when I was pregnant with my son. And I think that had triggered a lot of grief and stirred up feelings. And the thing with anxiety is often it will latch on something and it will really feed it. So you will kind of be like, right, okay, everybody normally who's got a headache will go, that's okay just take paracetamol or have lots of water, I'd go straight to a dark place and I would obsess. Or if I've, I've sat up too quick and I felt dizzy, I'd be like, what's, what does that mean? And in the end, uh, my heart was always racing. I'd wake up and it was like I'd gone run a marathon. My heartbeat was always up. I was always kind of like waking up feeling sick, sick to my stomach. 
and that went on for months and I didn't know what to do so I went to the doctor and had an ECG and it came back clear and I kind of was just like in the cycle of beating myself up for not feeling well and I didn't talk to anybody about it except my husband and so he had a lot going on he was trying to hold down a job raise four children with me and have a wife that wasn't doing that well and actually I think for people that are very close to you they're not always going to hold the answers they're not always going to be able to say right I think you're really struggling here because I think he was afraid to say that to me because I think talking saying it out loud and talking about it made it more real so we were both kind of had our head in the sand and I he was working a lot and was under a lot of pressure and I think both of us just drifted apart from each other which if you've been through that it's such a tough thing in your marriage or relationship because the person you're closest to in the world is is moving away from you and we'd worked so hard to get to our relationship to that point And four kids is a lot of pressure on a relationship. It brings a lot of joy and a lot of love and an amazing sense of family, but it it is a strain. And I think that had started to eat away at me. And it's and I'm I've never been very good at being able to talk from a place that hasn't got too much emotion in it. For me, I always veer towards the emotional when talking and you know, I love my husband very much, so it, it I couldn't sort of keep the emotion out of it. And I knew that we were struggling and I knew our relationship was floundering. And there's a lot of kind of misunderstanding, I think, with anxiety, because people think that you can, to a certain extent, control it, which of course you can. But when it's coming becoming out of control and you're spiralling, and someone's saying to you, you just need to calm down, that is not going to help, that is not going to touch the sides, and that is the truth of it, that you need someone to say you need help, not calm down, or just have a cup of tea, because that anxiety, when it's that bad, is not going anywhere, and actually, what often happens is you reach a certain point, which is, in my case, absolute rock bottom. So I'd gone to a cafe and my son was asleep and I was reading this trashy magazine in the cafe. And it was it was a story, this woman was talking about how she thought she'd been poisoned by her husband and she ended up in hospital and she was sectioned because it was all in her head. And something in me snapped. I suddenly thought, what if my husband's trying to poison me? What if the anxiety is because he's putting something in my tea? I I kid you not, I, I feel such shame talking about it now. I can't tell you. And such a deep feeling of sadness that that I got to this point of being so ill that I thought the person closest to me was capable of poisoning me. And I immediately had a massive panic attack. I got the buggy, um, popped the baby back in and, and just left the cafe, hyperventilated all the way home. 
And actually, I spoke to him about it. I thought the best way to deal with this is just to be completely honest. And I think actually he was quite hurt and quite shocked. And I sort of thought, right, I've got to do the school run. I need to calm down and, and get myself together. But my, my I was unravelling. I was absolutely unravelling. And so I kind of did the children's tea, put them to bed. Everything was calm. And then I sat on the sofa and um, I just, I couldn't eat or drink. I felt like I was losing control. And I turned to my husband and I said, I'm going out. And he just, he was like, what's wrong? He, he looked ashen-faced. I was hyperventilating again. I said, I've just got to get out. I've got to get out of the house. And I literally ran to my friend's house. And she's a doctor. And I was in an absolute state. I was shaking from head to foot and saying... I told her what had happened that day and she was trying to calm me down. I, I can't remember what I said. I can't remember what kind of state she must have found me in. All I know is that I was shaking uncontrollably and just babbling, basically. And she said to me, you you are lucid. You're, you're, I'm not, I am worried, but uh, you, you're, you're going to be okay. And I think when someone sees you at your absolute worst and they say you're going to be OK, you can either choose then to think, yes, I, I, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to I'm going to push through this or you can just keep unraveling and spiraling. And I, I believed her, which I think was a huge thing for me. It kind of that that sentence saved me in a way because I was absolutely bloody terrified. I, I can't articulate that fear I I felt like I was looking at insanity in the face and I was just beside myself and my friend who'd passed away when I was pregnant I um I told her mum in the morning and she made an appointment for me at the doctor and I just I told them everything and I was immediately put back on um antidepressants and started counselling straight away and I was not in a good place for a very long time. It, I'd have good days and bad days. I'd sometimes look out of the window and think, is someone watching me? Or I'd just get very unsettled. I felt like, my, to be honest, I felt like my mind was playing tricks on me. I'd be very suspicious of stuff. And then I'd, I'd go, don't be ridiculous. You're fine. And then it would kind of like go away to a certain extent and then what I learned to do was ignore the negative chatter. I would think, is that real? No, it's not. But then things would happen like the lollipop lady died at school, at my children's school. And I'd think, is it my fault she died? And I know it wasn't. And obviously it wasn't my fault. But in my head, I just was my head. My thoughts were racing all the time. I'd go to bed and I'd think someone, someone's getting hurt right now. Someone's being attacked. What if someone's dying right now? And it was like all the sadness of the world I felt was sitting on my shoulders, and I, I just couldn't reconcile myself with those thoughts. And they, they'd be racing and racing, and I, I lost a lot of weight. I couldn't eat. It would take me an hour to eat a piece of toast because everything just stuck in my throat and my heart was always pounding. And it was just a very, very dark time. And honestly, I think just time, just time and people's understanding 
my husband, I think, finally understood what I was going through. My parents, it was a tricky one. I I had another low point where I just got very, very anxious about falling ill and I just kind of had a bit of an episode in front of my mum and said, you know, I'm going to die. And I think she was really, really shocked because I tried very hard to protect her from it. That's the weird thing as well. Even though you're going through all this horribleness, you want to protect people from it. You don't want people to see it because you don't want to upset them. So even though I was in the middle of this kind of nervous breakdown, I just didn't want other people to see it. And also, to be honest, there was shame because you don't want to be judged. You don't want people to go, oh, you know, she can't look after her four children. And that would have been my worst fear is not being able to be a mum. And I think that was the stark reality that I had to get better. I had to be the best mum I could for those children. And I think that was the only thing and the love of my husband that really, really pulled me through it. Because I think if you have a focus, which I do, which is being a mum, then that that had to to go that level of anxiety i had to work on that and i did so hard to get better because i knew i couldn't go on who can go on with their mind racing their heart thumping and i'd go to bed sometimes and i'd read a book and i was shaking so much sometimes that i couldn't even turn the page but i was like no just turn that page and tomorrow's another day And I know it's corny, but I just had to believe that I would get better. And it took a very long time. And I think, again, and I've talked about this before, lack of support network, that still breaks my heart. I was, you know, you could say I'm lucky I I have a family, but I, there's always been a big loneliness in me. And I haven't always had the friendships I would have liked or the love from people I would have liked especially as I try to be very loving to people and maybe I've been a bit much maybe I've I've put people off or been a bit too needy so now 12 years on from that time I try and learn and just be mindful so I'm careful I am careful with myself I think having had a job for a long time really brought me a hell of a lot of stability and it was a focus and that's the thing it was taking that focus that heat and intensity that the anxiety plays on away from it so I I would be like no I'm not going to think about this I'm this isn't going to dominate me this isn't going to control me I'm going to move away from that thought really quickly I'm going to distract myself and that for me really really worked that kind of like switching it around, not giving it any focus or attention. And and as I said, working. And at that point, the children were all at school. And I think that was such a lifesaver for me to start a career, have some money and independence, and also kind of find out who I was again. And I think that was important because I think when you do have children, you can get quite lost And my identity was incredibly wrapped up in them. And it's only over the last few years that I've learnt to to not do that. Because it's not fair on them and it's not healthy. I don't think they've ever been aware of it. 
and I, I because now they're older and I've got two adult children and we talk about things I, I think thank god they were little and they maybe weren't exposed to as much of it as they think they were and it's not something I really talk to them about now you know and I don't really want to carry it around with me and I think the pandemic has made me have a sadness that I wasted so much time but what can you do it's something I went through I think in my head it had always been a ticking time bomb because of stuff I've gone through in my life I think there were it was going it was kind of inevitable to me that it did feel like because I'm a highly strong person with a lot of emotion that actually if you're not channeling right that's going to go somewhere and you know I I went down a very negative path. I I was ill, but I I got better. Do I worry about going back there? Mm, Yes. Yeah, I do. I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't wish that for anybody. But I think it gives you a great deal of compassion and empathy and an emotional intelligence for understanding other people. And I'd like to think that it's made me weirdly a better person but I wouldn't ever want to go through it again so it's just a day-by-day thing the pandemic doesn't help but also I realize what I have and what I'm grateful for and mental health is everything if you don't look after yourself if you know that you're vulnerable to anxiety or susceptible to mental health issues look after yourself be kind for me I always put was kind to other people first not myself and actually now I can be a bit lazy I can read a magazine my children are older I'm not running around making snacks every 10 minutes and having to sing the wheels on the fucking bus go round and round anymore there is time for me now and I think it's key take time for yourself say to people I need help if you've got small kids reach out because people want to be wanted and needed anyway and if you're going through anything like I am speak out because people are so kind and I got better with the help of my GP, who was amazing. And it is important to realise when you're not well, you don't deserve to be unwell and you don't deserve to go through that. And just give yourself a little, little bit of love when it gets bad. I really hope this episode's helped. It's, it's another humdinger of talking about something very, very personal to me, but I know that from your feedback that it helps. So I'm wishing you guys so much love and speak to you soon.